Wow, what a wonderful day. Look, it's November, the 1st of November. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. What is happening to this time that we call life? It's just flowing by so wonderfully. We're in the book of Ephesians. Would you turn with me, please? What an exciting place. This is a place that's going to... Paul is making the case. And the case is... I, I would imagine what he, what he felt like when he wrote these things. But basically, he's telling us what the church is. We've been watching him as he's kind of preached through this chapter. As he begins things, he's telling us, I want you to walk. I want you to... I beg of you. He says, I entreat you. Please, please, please walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. What he is doing is what everybody that is connected with any kind of church and has any kind of love for the family of God. Not to say that you don't, but just for anybody that does. I guess I should leave it at that. And, and, and Paul is just begging, begging. The greatest thing you can do on earth, he is pleading with the people, is to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. In other words, in, in the church that you are a part of, Walk worthy in that. And he says, how? Remember he said in verses 2 and 3, I want you to be humble and, and I want you to be gentle and, and, and patient with one another and, and love each other. And, and then we, we talked about how Jesus Christ says, this is how you should love one, one another, just as I have loved you. This is what you should do for one another. By this, he says, everyone's going to know you're disciples of mine if you have this kind of love for one another. And he says, also be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's talking about the very essence of our church, all churches. He wants us to keep this place secure. We can't speak to all the churches. That's not our right. But we can, we can do what God has called us to do within this, our church. And then he says, these are the framework of the church. This is what really makes the church the essence of what it is. And in verses 4 to 6, if you recall, he, he gave what I would call the seven ones. You can see in verses 4, there's one body, there's one spirit. We've been called to one hope. Those are three ones. And then in verse 5, he gives three more. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. And then in verse 6, he ends by giving the seventh one. He says, there is but one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And then he said in verse 7, as we studied, that each one of us, to every single one of us who has come to Christ, grace was given according to the measure of our Lord's gift, Christ's gift. And that's what we are going to be talking about in the weeks to come, the gifts that the Lord has given to us as a body of believers and what it means to each and every single one of us and why these gifts were given. And if we jumped ahead, let's just look at it. We won't go there today too much, but we're to equip one another, as verse 12 tells us, for the work of service. In other words, what we're to, to do, how we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So we equip one another for the work of service so as to build up our Lord's body. What more privilege, what, what greater privilege do we have on this earth in which we live than to build up the body of Christ? What a privilege. What a privilege. This is not in my notes. This is pure rabbit trail. I just want to share it with you. It's just a precious moment. The other night, my, my daughter's here from England, and so we're enjoying her company. And, and my son and his wife, Beautiful Jennifer came over with their two wonderful, wonderful children. They 
Jamark brought us all pumpkins. We all had pumpkins. We were all going to carve uh, uh, something on, on a pumpkin, whatever we wanted. My, my grandson, who's five, decided that he was going to carve a bunny's brain. Okay, okay, I, I emptied that thing out in the middle and I, I got this little tool and I says, where do we start? And he got a pen and he, he drew a bunny's brain. <laughs> and we carved out a bunny's brain and put a light in it and it just shined all over the place. It was just a hole in the pumpkin, but by golly, it was a pumpkin's, it was a bunny's brain to all of us. And so when we were doing that, we were just enjoying each other. Our, our, our granddaughter, who is 10, said that this, this one girl, who is the bully in, in the class, took one of her garments and flushed it down the toilet. Just kind of flushed it there in the school. And we said, what happened? She said, I, I was really hurt and... So I asked her to come to our Sunday school class. I asked her to come to our uh, our Sunday school, um, whatever they call theirs, Kids Rock or something, whatever they call it. What happened, Alex? She said she came. She said I was in church and she came into our class. And when the teacher was teaching at the end of the class, says, if anyone wants to stay over and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they can stay in class and... She looked at me and she says, I want to stay in class. Yeah, how about that? And what did it make you feel like, honey? She said, I felt so good for her. I thought, you know, is that not what life's all about? Now, she didn't make her go to class. She didn't, she, she didn't do any of those things. She just made an innocent offer to someone who was mean to her. Hmm. So we have been asked to represent, to build up the body of Christ. And saw evidence of that this just Friday night with our granddaughter. thought it was sweet. So I thought I'd take that little rabbit trail and share that with you. Maybe it'll encourage you, maybe it won't. But it sure did me. You see, Paul already told us, in the second chapter of this great book, the tenth verse, that we were created for something. We have all been created for a purpose. That purpose in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 is that we are to be our Lord, our God's workmanship. That's a wonderful word. We have been created, verse 10 tells us in the second chapter, in Christ Jesus for, for what? Well, we said it last week, for good works. And then we said, our Lord has already prepared this good work for you. All you have to do is walk in it. And I think back of my granddaughter. Everything was done. Everything was already completed. All she had to do was initiate someone else. The Lord would have taken care of that little girl. Someone else could have asked her. But Alex got the blessing. Alex got the blessing of asking that little girl to come to church. I want you to turn 
hold your place here in Ephesians. We haven't even begun, have we? I want you to turn to First Peter. It's way to the right a little bit. I want you to read with me again to yourselves what Peter says to us. First Peter is, you know, if you come to the, the last book in the Bible, it's the book of Revelation, turn to the left and you'll go past 3rd, 2nd, 1st John. And there you're going to hit after, uh, after John, you're going to hit 2nd Peter and then comes 1st Peter. Look at 1st Peter chapter 4. Just one verse, but I, I think it bears the importance that you and I should look at it. Maybe, maybe even, I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but look what Peter tells us. He says this, to each one, uh, let me repeat it, to each one, to each one has received a special gift. You cannot deny the fact that you and I have been given a gift. A special gift by God to use within the body of Christ. So he says, Peter says, employ it. In other words, put it to use. In what? In serving one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What a wonderful, wonderful verse. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 tells us. You've received a special gift, folks, he says, so employ it. Employ it in serving one another. By the way, that verse is not up on the board. I, I uh, added that on my own, and I ask your forgiveness to those who are running the, the board. That's not their fault, that's um, mine. But what I want to do is to make a point about what we are getting into, why God has been given, or God has really given to His Son, Jesus Christ, the right to dis to distribute these gifts. And we're going to see this today. It's kind of a controversial place in Scripture, but, 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 but to get back to the word gifts, God did not intend us to be spectators within this grace which we enjoy. He, he, he has gifted every single one of us to use or to employ these gifts just as He has measured them out to you and me. And so, if we turn back now to where we should be in Ephesians chapter 4. And we look ahead at what we're going to come to, but, but first I want to set this stage. It says in verse 11, He gave. And it mentions five different things. One, two, three, four, five. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He gave this to the body of believers. So that, as we've already been mentioning in verse 12, we'd equip one another for the work of service so as to build up the body of Christ. But verse 13 is really important. As a res- No, until, until we've all obtained to the unity of the faith. That's, that's our purpose here at the Rock Community Church. So that we might obtain to this unity of the, of the faith. Knowledge of our Son of God become mature people to the measure of stature which is which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, sandwiched in between verses 7 and verse 11 are three powerful verses that tell us why Jesus Christ has the right to give out these gifts. Now, I think you and I already know this, but it's very interesting to me that God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have Paul write down verses 8, 9, and 10. They, they almost seem out of place, in a sense. These gifts that our Lord has measured out for you and me, 
so that we might use them for his glory. Paul then quotes out of a psalm, Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is, is, is God's triumphant psalm. I'll read it with you a little bit in a moment. Let's first read verses 8, 9, and 10. Therefore, Paul writes, it says when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Father God, what a privilege to know you. What a privilege to live a life trying, Father God, to understand you trying to grasp what you have written to us so that we might just understand a portion of, of, of who you are so that we might know better who, who we are. Father, it is my deepest desire that you would move me aside. That you would, uh, Father, allow the pulpit to be filled with your presence and, and the sense of who you are, that we might... Behold wonderful things from your law, so that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, the one, the very one, Father, that we are praying to right now, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we come on his merit, not our own. We come to you so that you might teach us and might reveal to us the wonders of who you are. It is our privilege, Father, to know you. It is our privilege, Father, to, to try to get to know you even deeper and deeper with each passing day. So, teach us, dear Father. Teach us your word. Thank you for this time of the year as we move into uh, what we call Thanksgiving. And then celebrating, Father, the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, in the days ahead. Hmm. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Would you hold your place here and turn with me to Psalm 68. Psalm, of course, is in the middle of the Old Testament. Psalm 68. can hardly miss the book of Psalms. You kind of just tucked right there in the middle of your Bible. It's a long, long book. The 68th chapter is God's victorious, triumphant chapter in the book of Psalms. It was written by David. It was David who celebrates God's conquest, conquests over his enemies. And David who triumphantly ascends from Jerusalem out, up to Mount Zion. In an essence... <clears throat> There are two sides to this. We're talking about David who, who ascends and descends up to Mount Zion and back down. But it also is going to tell and picture you and me, 
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who descended to the earth to be a man, to live and to die for you and me, and then ascended back up to heaven triumphantly with his gifts. Now, look at Psalm 68. It says, verse 1, Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered. and Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. As you can see, this is God's triumphant psalm. And verse 18 is the verse that is quoted in Ephesians. It is, it is a misquote, of, not a misquote, but it, it's not the same words, but it's the same thought. It says in verse 18, You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men. And in, in Ephesians, it tells us that he has given us gifts. Even among the rebellious also, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed, it says in verse 19, be the Lord who daily bears our burdens. The God who is our salvation. It's, it's a great psalm. Read through it when you have time, please. Turn back with me now to Ephesians chapter 4. What we are going to look at is the phrase in verse 8 that says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And Paul writes, he gave gifts to men. He took what was mentioned in Psalm 68 and he twisted it to allow us to know what he is talking about here. The giving of gifts to the body of Christ, to the church. Now, let's take a look and see what Psalm 68 is trying to say. Traditionally, in, in, in Jerusalem, after a victory, <clears throat> a king would display the spoils of his victory. Gold, and, and also any enemy soldiers that he took captive. And he would pass them through Jerusalem, and they would march through Jerusalem up to Mount Zion. Also, during this march... The king would also display his own soldiers who were once held captive by the enemy, but now were set free. Bingo. That's us. That's what Paul is kind of relating it to. It's, it's we who were captive, held captive by Satan and by sin and by death, have now been set free. We have been set free by our Lord and Savior. And He triumphantly displays our souls to the Father who is in heaven. That's what is being reasoned here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8, 9, and 10. Thrown into the middle of this building of the church is the very essence of who Jesus Christ is and why He has the right to tell us what He wants to do within His church. It says in Colossians chapter 2, when, 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 when Jesus Christ had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, 
It says, He made public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. And so there is this, there is this theme throughout scriptures that talks about uh, disarming the enemy, public displaying of what has been done, and then triumphantly displaying these things before God. So the phrase in verse 8, when he ascended on high, that depicts the triumphant Christ returning from battle on earth ascending back into glory of the heavenly city with the trophies of His great victory, i.e., in other words, our souls. Souls of saints. And through that great victory that is mentioned in verse 8, He led captive a host of captives. That was us, who were once held captive by the enemy, but now are free. We are free and we have been returned back to God to whom we belong. And so verses 8, 9, and 10 symbolically give us a glimpse of our Lord's triumph over the enemy on earth, all the while giving gifts to those of us who believe in Him. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you and me to use our gifts within the body of Christ. I'm not doing this so that to get you busy so that we will have to be less busy. I'm, I'm asking you to, to use your gifts so that you would receive the blessings and everyone else, those who are a part of this wonderful church. Because we need one another. Your gift is critical here. All gifts are critical here. And so verses 9 and 10 simply explain what was said in verse 8. Again, let's read it. Verse 8. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10 says that he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, we were taught in chapter 1, verses 20, 21, and 22, make more sense now, turn back and look at it. He was to ultimately sit at the right hand of the Father, that very place of power in heaven. So verse 20 says to us in chapter 1, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, he says, He put all things in subjection under His, Jesus Christ's feet. And He gave Him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church which is the church, you and me, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all things. Well, verses 8 and 10 explain that power that has been given to Jesus Christ and why Jesus Christ has the right to give out gifts and be the very cornerstone or the head of all churches. Well, 
We can't speak to all churches, but he is the head of this church. That is, that is for sure. If there is nothing else that is sure about this church, it is that Jesus Christ is our, the head of it. He is our cornerstone, and everything will be built upon him. Watch this now, watch. Verses 9 and 10 say, If ascended refers to our Lord's being taken up to heaven, then descended must refer to His coming down to earth. But there are two thoughts on this. Let's take a look at both of them. The depth of Jesus Christ's descent is mentioned in His incarnation. In other words, when He became a man and came to earth. That is called, in verse 9, the lower parts of the earth. This reference is presented to provide a, a striking contrast with what is said in verse 10 in the terms of his ascent. In other words, the descent is here on earth, or the lower parts of the earth, and his ascent is far above all the heavens. It's it's kind of, you know, the the... The widest you can make it, the highest you can make it. It's, it's, it's to the extreme is what Paul is writing. It, it emphasizes the extreme range of our Lord's life, His death, and His resurrection again into heaven. Now, to better understand this phrase, what we need to do is to take a study. Take a look at at where it is mentioned in, in the Bible, the lower parts of the earth, or the depths of the earth, or the heart of the earth. The reason I mention lower depth and heart is because we're going to take a look at three places that explain the very life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ. It's really interesting if you like this type of stuff. To me it is. Psalms 63 Verses 9 and 10. Psalms 63, verses 9 and 10. This phrase, the depth of the earth, has to do with the death of someone. In this case, it was the death by a sword. Look what it says in verse 9 of Psalm 63. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into, watch, the depths of the earth they will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. In other words, it speaks of someone dying by the sword, being killed. Instead of going back to Matthew, stay in Psalms, Psalms 139. I, I should have done this last night. Look at Psalms 139. Since you're already in Psalm 63, Psalms 139 uses the depths of the earth to, to explain the birth of a child. It, it, is, a, it is really a, a very beautiful verse. Psalms 139 verse 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. It's a very wonderful phrase of, 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 of a childbirth. Now let's go back to the New Testament. And on your way back to Ephesians, stop at Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. And we see a similar phrase. This time it's called the heart of the earth. But it refers to someone being buried. 
And, and what Matthew does is he explains the burial of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, in connection with Jonah being swallowed by that great fish. It says in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so the sum of these three verses, actually four, in, in, in Psalms twice, and also in Matthew the sum of into the lower parts or the depth or the heart of the earth relates to a place, a place of the birth, the life, and the death, burial and the death of Jesus Christ. You see, the intent of the phrase, Ephesians chapter 4, back there, in verses 8, 9, and 10, is not to point to a specific place. No, no. The intent was to refer to the depth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that is, being made man, birth, life, death, burial, and then His ascent of being seated at the very right hand of God the Father, with all power and all authority given to Him. But, the second thought of this descent into the lower parts of the earth is, is taught also in Peter, in in First Peter chapter 3. Please turn there. Peter mentions the descent of our Lord went even beyond birth, life, death and burial. Peter tells us that the descent that our Lord took refers to His descent into the very pit of, the, of hell itself with the demons. He sheds light on this particular meaning. And I think you're going to really enjoy, at least I did, 1 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. Peter says this. Chapter 3, 1 Peter, verse 18. He said, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that... He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Verse 19, very key. In which He also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. That is talking, Peter's talking about our Lord going down into the very pit of hell and making a proclamation to the prisoners who are in that state. Between our Lord's death at Calvary and His resurrection in the garden tomb, He was, as verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us, put to death in the flesh, but He was made alive in the Spirit. Verse 18 means He was physically dead because He died on the cross, yet He was also spiritually alive during those three days that He was in this state. How to explain that, I'm not sure I know. I just know what Peter tells us. He was physically dead, but spiritually alive. And he went down into the very depths of this earth, the pit of hell. Verse 19 is key. Watch, watch. It really says everything about this place. 
He says he also descended and made a proclamation to the spirits now in prison. The word proclamation there means everything to you and me. It is the word in the Greek, K-E-R-U-S-S-O. It doesn't refer that he preached. The word for preaching is E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-Z-O. It means to preach the gospel. No, Paul uses a very specific word here. Excuse me, Peter does. Wait, yeah. Peter uses a very specific word here. The word is K-E-R-U-S-S-O. It is, it is a proclamation. The, the translation or the meaning of, of the word K-E-R-U-S-S-O means a triumphant announcement. And to me, that makes so much sense. Jesus Christ went down into hell itself and He stood before the prisoners who were there and He made a triumphant proclamation, a triumphant announcement. It wasn't there to preach the gospel so as to lead the spirits who are in prison uh, to Himself by faith. No, though that day was long gone for those people, for them. His proclamation to them was simply His victory announcement over sin and over death. He proclaimed to the demon world what they would realize once again. And that is, He is exactly who He said He was. He did not give them the gospel. He just triumphantly proclaimed to them, I am He. You should have listened. Triumphantly proclaimed, telling us and them exactly who He is. And by this victory, by Jesus Christ's death and His resurrection, if you turn back to Ephesians chapter 4 and you look again at verse 10, it states He can fill all things. Filling all things speaks to our Lord's divine presence and divine power over everyone. Everything, everything and everyone that has ever lived or has ever been created. He is over all. He fills all things. The entire universe. He fills everything from death to hell. He fills everything from heaven to eternal life. And heaven is that place that He is guaranteed, absolutely guaranteed. 100% guaranteed to every single one of us who believe in Him. And Paul allows us to know that he has that right. He has that power. He has that authority to guarantee this because of his victory over death and sin and burial and life. Because He descended and then ascended. That gave Him the authority. So, as we go off into the study on gifts, let's get back to Paul's point in Ephesians chapter 4. As verse 7 and verse 11 states, verse 7 says, To each one of us, I'm going to hammer home on this to us, Grace was given according to the measure of Jesus Christ's gift. And then in verse 11 it says, He gave. He gave some as apostles, 
some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. Ouch. I just hit my hand on my nose. <laughs> he gave he, he gave these these gifts. Now these particular gifts are are, are gifts that are the very uh, foundation of the church. And since Paul is doing just that here in Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians, he is laying the foundation of the church. What he has done is he has allowed you and me to know that Christ is everything. And he has that right to do it because he came to earth as a man. He triumphantly lived as a man. He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead and triumphantly has gone into heaven itself and seated at the right hand of God. He has that right over you and me to lay the foundation of the church. And so it's only natural to me that Paul gives an explanation of the church's foundational leaders when he, when he mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. But the words that, that are key to verse 11 is, He gave, He gave, He gave emphasizes His sovereign authority over His church once again. That He is in control. And all these positions that He gave are divinely called and divinely placed by and through Jesus Christ for us, the church, believers in Jesus Christ. And the gifts that He has given to the rest of us, those gifts are His choice as well. He gave. He gave. He gave. He gave, He gave, He gave, He gave, He gave to us gifts. He gave gifts. His choice was to give you a gift. And those gifts are, as we're going to note in verses 12 and 13, they're to equip each other. I can't tell you how important you are to the person seated beside you or in front of you or behind you. Or the person that's not even here right now. Maybe they came last night or, or maybe they're going to be in the next service. Each one of them needs your gift. You might not understand it. I do not. When we asked Alex, our granddaughter, do you understand what you did? She said, no. Nah. It was really beyond her. It was beyond her that this girl would come. This girl was a bully. She treated everybody unkind. And so Alex just simply said, not why did you flush my garment down the toilet? Would you come to church with me? Wow. The nerve of that little girl. I don't know that I would have had that courage at that age. She didn't strike out against her. She just asked her to come to church. She didn't fall on her knees right in front of her and say, oh, you need to know Jesus Christ. She just said, could you come to church? And that girl came to church. And someone else there led that little girl to Jesus Christ. My granddaughter didn't. But she had a part. You and I might not do something grandiose here. <laughs> 
But we can have a part. And why work within the body of Christ? Well, to build it up. Can you believe He's given us that responsibility? I find that hard to comprehend. I mean, since He is God, you'd think He'd think of a better way than using someone like me. You know, you think, wouldn't you think? I would. But He didn't. He wants to use the weak things of this world. He wants to use those things that are not so special to do something special in and through all of us. So today as a church, I found that the word proclamation really touched my heart when I read that in First Peter. Today as a body of believers, we can triumphantly proclaim, proclaim, that's that Greek word, K-E-R-U-S-S-O. We can triumphantly proclaim the gospel. That's the other word, E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-Z-O. We have the right to use both the gospel and the triumphant um, proclaims of Jesus Christ to the people we come in contact with. And if they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God Almighty will give them a gift. And if they don't, they choose not to believe, then they'll simply be added to those souls who are in prison, in that place that our Lord calls hell. Now, I don't want to end there. But I want to tell you how serious it is for you and me to be serious about our faith. I thought that the example of using that story of a granddaughter wasn't to say, wow, look at our family. It was basically to say, when we asked Alex, did you know that was going to happen? She said, no. Well, why did you ask her to church? She said, because I felt like she needed something special. Yeah, she did. Did you think you were going to do it? No, not really. I didn't even know she was going to show up. She surprised me when she showed up. It was that type of a thing. And yet I can only, I can only imagine in my mind how, how heaven itself was rejoicing over this little girl. Because it, it wasn't hers to do all of these things. It was other people within the body of Christ being used one by another. Who knows? Maybe some other person, little kid in that class when that girl came maybe they knew her and said oh boy it's good to see you there maybe they did something special to make her stay afterwards so that she might accept Christ who knows same thing with us who knows all God asks of us is to walk in what he has already prepared for us and none of us know today what God will do with us this afternoon not a one of us not a one of us None of us know what will be tomorrow. We haven't even been promised tomorrow. What we do know is that we can walk faithfully in the gift that our Lord God has given us. Walk worthy of that calling that you have been called. And watch God do great things through this church and through your lives. Father, 
Thank you so much for the explanation of who your Son is so that we might again grasp the wonders of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that we might comprehend once again the greatness, the majesty of your Son. You tell us it pleases you when we exalt him. You tell us that that is our purpose on earth, to exalt Jesus Christ to his rightful place. That's our joy. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to understand who he is so that we can very comfortably give him that place of first within our lives, that place that he so rightfully belongs. And then, Father, when we exalt him, you tell us that at the proper time, you'll exalt us. I don't think any of us here are looking for any exaltation. We are not, I don't think. I'm not. But I guess the purpose of that verse is to know that whether we are exalted or not is not an issue. Your timing and your judgment upon our lives is simply that we exalt your Son. Let the world know that we love him. And in so doing, let us love one another so that everyone will know we're disciples of his. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' most precious name, we say thank you. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful November. (laughs) Bye-bye.